This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. This podcast is produced by podcastandradio.com. Small Biz. Small Biz America. The Brain. Our guest on this segment is a digital marketing entrepreneur who is passionate about helping businesses learn what their users want on their website using psychology-based testing and analytics. Chris Daly started his conversion optimizations agency, Daily Conversion, in 2014, which he later merged with Disruptive Advertising, where he now currently works as the vice president of site testing and optimization. He joins us from Utah. Chris, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me on today, David. Excellent. Uh, always uh, a pleasure to uh, speak with you about digital marketing. Uh, so take us from the top. I mean, in terms of getting professionally interested in the space of digital marketing, what led to the creation of your first company and ultimately the uh, merge or the convergence of it with Disruptive? It's funny because I, I had absolutely no interest in digital marketing or even marketing for that matter um, <laughs> when I first discovered the space. So I went in for a sales position at an agency that was selling digital marketing. And so I started selling search engine optimization was the very first thing I heard about with digital marketing. Yeah. And it just fascinated me. It was, you know, I'm a younger guy, you know, I'm 30 and I use Google every day of my life. And yeah. so fascinated me that I could influence uh, what people do on Google, that I could influence the Google search results. And so the more interested I became uh, as I sold it, the more I wanted to do it. And so I applied for the first internal position that came up doing search engine optimization. And, uh, and that was kind of my introduction into digital marketing. Um, so fast forward a few years and I was in-house doing SEO for a company mm -hmm. and we had been killing it. You know, we had like, I don't know, tripled or quadrupled our organic traffic in nine months. Beautiful. So we'd had a ton of success, lots of new traffic coming to our company site. And as we started digging into some of the numbers, you know, obviously we want to know how that's impacting the business, how much more money we're making from all that traffic. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, most of that traffic was not generating any additional revenue for us. Nobody was converting. Hmm. And no one could help me understand why that traffic wasn't converting. Uh, you know, our designers were like, oh, you know, we've got great designs on our site, and so it can't be the design. And the developers, of course, there's nothing wrong with the site. And so, uh, you know, no one really had a clue why this traffic wasn't converting. And so I, of course, you know, did what any 
guy my age would do. And I went to Google and started searching. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and so I, I kind of stumbled upon the industry I'm in now by necessity, um, which is conversion rate optimization. And so I I discovered that you could, you know, run some tests on your site. You could test some different designs and test some different messaging and, you know, see what would resonate best with your audience. And that was kind of interesting and exciting to me. And so I tried it out, ran a test, conversion rates went up a little bit. And I thought, ah, interesting. And so I kind of dove into that industry for a few years. And it was about three years ago, a little more than three years ago, I was working in-house. I was doing conversion rate optimization, you know, running tests, improving conversion rates. And, you know, what what I do, conversion rate optimization can be a really resource-intensive strategy for companies to run. You know, you need to get designs together. You need to develop those designs, um, you know, run the test. Then you have to implement the changes on the site. I mean, there's a lot of moving. Yeah, yeah. Front-end, back-end design, aesthetics, uh, A-B testing, A-B-C testing, whatever it is. Yeah. Yes, yeah. There's a lot of resources that that you can consume. Mm -hmm. And so, I needed some help. Um, And so, I looked around at a few different agencies that were offering help. And frankly, I just wasn't really that happy with what I saw. Either either people were priced low and had no idea what they were doing, or they were priced ridiculously high and and they were experts. But for what I was looking for on the budget I had at the time, there wasn't really a solution that filled my my need. And so I decided to just go out and and create that solution. Of course, I had no experience as an entrepreneur. I had no idea what I was getting into with starting a business, Uh, but I made the leap. And and that kind of was the beginning of, I guess, my entrepreneurial journey. Chris, uh, at the beginning of that journey, what kinds of customers did you find yourself working with? initially. Just kind of curious about that early startup stage. Yeah. Well, so it's, it's interesting because part of the reason I started the business, I had a lot of people that kept coming to me asking for help with, with this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, Hey, you know, if I just turned a few of these into customers, I'll be in a good situation. And so I did that. So right around the time I started my company, I got my first client, which was a financial institution that, you know, that gets business loans, you know, for small businesses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they were a pretty sizable client, sizable enough that if I just kept them as a client, you know, I would be able to make ends meet and get by, you know, I've got a wife and I've got, you know, at the time I had one kid and, um, you know, we had a house and stuff. And so it was like, okay, well I just, you know, this is enough to get by. Yeah. But it was, it was interesting. It was probably about three weeks in to, uh, to me starting my business full fledged, you know, I'm working from my home. And, and again, I didn't have any kind of, um, I didn't have any habits that were built. I didn't, I didn't really know what an entrepreneur should be doing with their time. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're referring to the systematization of the business, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I had no clue, you know, and obviously there's not like one thing that an entrepreneur should be doing, but, but I didn't know what I could be doing with my time. Um, and so, you know, I just sat around and, and worked for that one client all day, every day. And it was probably three weeks in, I, I, you know, I walk into the bedroom at the end of the day, I'm pooped. And my wife's like, so have we gotten any new clients yet? And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> and that's when it kind of dawned on me. I'm like, Oh, I guess I haven't even been trying to get new clients. Right. And so, you know, my wife kind of nudged me in the right direction. And so then of course the question comes up, well, how do you get new clients? And I didn't know how to do that either. And so 
I threw a bunch of stuff. You know, I, I tried going to networking events. I, I literally tried cold calling businesses. I reached out to people through LinkedIn, um, old bosses, old coworkers. I know I tried every avenue I could possibly come up with. And, and that's when, you know, I, a few clients started trickling in and, you know, we start kind of started growing. And, you know, scaling a business that you were initially doing everything yourself is no easy idea. I mean, the idea itself is not for everybody. You can't always wrap your brain around it. When your wife said that and gave you a little nudge and said, hey, are we getting any new? You're thinking to yourself, wait, I've got to do the work for the one giant <laughs> client I've got. Forget 80-20. This is 100% of our business right now. So how do you, you know, how do you begin to move from all eggs in one basket to having many eggs in many baskets? Not an easy thing, right? Oh, it is not easy at all. And in fact, I stumbled many, many times early on um, because there's a lot of things. Again, when you've just been an in-house guy doing your thing yeah, every day, yeah. you don't think about all the moving pieces of, of a business. And like you said, you don't think about, okay, I need to go out and spend a certain amount of time selling. And then once I sell that client, I'm going to have to spend a certain amount of time executing and I'm going to need to continue executing while I'm still going out and finding new clients yep. to, you know, it, because it's just, it's an ongoing cycle. And especially when you're, when you're an agency where you kind of live or die by, by your clients. Yes. Um, yes. yeah, I mean, putting all of your eggs in one basket is really dangerous. And so, uh, you know, frankly, I didn't really have any methodology for doing that early on. It was just kind of, yeah. <laughs> I would go out and I would spend some time selling and I'd sell some clients and then I'd spend all my time executing until I got them into a good spot. And then I'd go out and do some more yeah. selling. So <laughs> yeah, there's a certain amount of automation, I guess, you know, once they have a campaign and they're sort of running and testing, you can kind of relax that, let it do it, let the data generate, gets in the results will come in at a certain end point, I'm guessing. And I don't know your business that well, but it seems like you can kind of set it off into motion and then move to the next project while that's kind of doing what it needs to do online. Right? Yeah. So there's the, there's the first challenge, which is how do I make sure that my business is sustainable, which that's really all I'm doing at that point. And then there's the question of, mm. well, how do I scale this? Because that's, yeah. you know, when you, when you start a company, there's, you know, you can either start a lifestyle business where you're just kind of doing your thing and you're charging a good amount and you're making a good amount. And, uh, you know, you can make two, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year doing that kind of a business. Mm -hmm. And that's great, you know, and some people are okay with that. And, but I realized probably about a year into starting my business, because it took me that long to, you know, start figuring things out. Mm -hmm. But I, I realized about a year into my business, I didn't just want a lifestyle business. I wanted to build something, you know, I wanted to create a company that was bigger than me. Um, and that introduces a whole host of new challenges, which is, you know, more and more fun things to figure out as an entrepreneur. Absolutely. We're visiting with Chris Daly. He is the founder of Daily Conversion, which he founded in 14, and uh, later they merged with Disruptive Advertising. The current uh, website is www.disruptiveadvertising.com. By the way, for those listening, and myself included, what's the actual revenue model for a business like yours? Yeah, well, so, and that was another thing that was really interesting to figure out. <laughs> One interesting thing to figure out early on in the business is, like, what do I, what do I charge people? Like, what do I charge people? How do I charge them? So, when I first started out, absolutely, I, I was doing project-based work, you know, mm -hmm. where I was just charging people for each test that I ran for them. Um, I got some hourly clients, and, you know, early on, 
when you start a business, hourly clients sound like a great idea because it's like, oh, if I just spend a few more hours working on this, I can make, you know, whatever I'm charging per hour, $100, $150, $200 an hour. That sounds fantastic. But as, you know, most entrepreneurs who have done this know, you very quickly tie your hands because the amount you make is is directly tied to how many hours you spend working. And you have finite and, inventory of time. Yeah and, yeah, and and you're not you're not really charging based on what uh, kind of value you're creating for the business. Also true. You're this charging exactly on your time, right? You're exactly. valuing your time. Yeah, there's a disconnect. And so, yeah, yeah, and and you know, and being a family guy, the other danger with this I didn't realize was. I start equating every minute I spend in my life to dollars, right? Because I'm like, mm. well, I could spend an hour playing with my kids in the backyard, or I could spend an hour making 200 bucks for a client. Yep. Uh, you know, and that's a really dangerous mindset to have. Yep. There's some productivity that comes with that. And then there's also a bunch of ridiculous cost-benefit analyses that go on in your head yep. that, that aren't necessarily good. So anyways, you know, early on, I had no idea how we were going to set things up. And and frankly, what, what I needed to do and what we do now, you know, at Disruptive is, you know, we get clients on a recurring model that allows us to run a long-term strategy, you know, and so we figure out how aggressive we want to be on that strategy. We, you know, we have a budget that's associated with that, with how much work we can do for a certain budget. And, uh, you know, and then we get those clients on a regular recurring model. And the, the challenge that I had when I started my business is number one, I didn't believe in myself enough to think that a client would pay me $2,000 every single month or $5,000 or $10,000 every single month. Um, and so I was going for the lowest barrier sale. And then also I didn't know, I didn't know what I would do if I, if, if a client paid me $2,000 every single month. <laughs> and so creating a model that I could apply to many clients that took my expertise and plugged it into a system, yeah. you know, plugged it into a strategy that worked consistently. That was a new concept to me. And that was something that was really fun to figure out. And Chris, did you add people virtually or otherwise to your team as you began to scale? I did. And so that's another challenge, right? Right. As, as a business, because yeah. when you are filling up 60, 80, a hundred hours a week doing things yourself and you add someone to the mix, I mean, it sounds really good and down the road, it's going to save you a lot of time, but initially it's a lot more time because not only do you have to do all the stuff that you were doing before, but you also have to train someone how to do some of these things and you have to have them do it two, three, four times, you know, review it with them uh, as they're learning. And so I, I added some people remotely and then I added a few people that worked with me here in Utah. And that is when, you know, that's when I really hit a major roadblock, which was to really grow this thing. I mean, not just like a few people, like three, four people with a job, but to really grow this to a serious sizable business, there's a lot involved. <laughs> there's a lot of work ahead of me. And so it was beautiful timing. Again, this is kind of right around the time that, that I merged with Disruptive that, you know, I met the owner of Disruptive Advertising. I had, I had actually pitched him when I very first started my business and wow. we had just kind of stayed in contact. I had pitched him and he had not, he had not bought because he's another agency and he figured I'm just going to, I'm just going to go and do what you are offering me. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's funny outcome. Yeah. And so, um, anyways, you know, two years later, here we are, we, we meet up. Uh, I kind of went in with the intention of pitching him again. He yeah. went in with the intention of bringing me on as, you know, as a partner essentially. And, and it turned into a great conversation. You must really like the way you think about all of this, right? 
<laughs> yeah, it's it is it's a long process of of considering all these kinds of things. I wanted to circle back to the pricing model question that I had. Are there any digital ad agencies, or have you ever considered um, actually correlating pricing to conversion? or to the quantification of the activity of an ad? Oh, you bet. Uh, in fact, or a hybrid would... model, for that matter. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, go ahead, please. Yes, yes and yes. I've thought of a hybrid model. In fact, we've tried a hybrid model. We've tried a what you're referring to as a performance-based model, where, there you go. Uh, where it's kind of either a profit share kind of a model mm-hmm. or whether it's tied to the amount of conversions. Yeah. And frankly, I would love if we could do that for more clients. Here's the challenge that we ran into. We were so successful with some of our clients that they didn't want to pay us because of how much they owed us. <laughs> and uh-huh. so, so you um, actually tried it, but it was just outrageously too much. Unless you, yes. you'd have to create some kind of complicated tiering so that when it gets exactly. to a certain higher level, you know, there's economies of scale and it gets complicated I and mean, it just may not really work. Especially when it's kind of an ongoing performance basis and there's not, so with, with managing like PPC campaigns, for example, yeah. it's fairly simple to calculate that, right? It's like, okay, we charge 10% of ad spend. So, you know, at Disruptive, we do, we do PPC campaigns and we do charge on a tiered model like that. And it's fairly simple because it's just however much they spent, you know, you charge 10% of that. Okay. But with, with conversion rate optimization that, you know, that I, that I do, there's a lot more that goes into it because it's like a profit sharing model. Well, then you have to go in and calculate the profit that was made each month and you have to calculate or, or you associate a certain amount of profit with each lead that's generated. Um, and there's, yeah, yeah. How do you correlate the value of a lead? Cause it's different for every business. Yeah, and so yeah. then it then it turns into a nightmare for yep. the accounting department. So our, yep. our accounting department has basically forbidden me from doing those kinds of things anymore. <laughs> I get it. So you've standardized pricing, and and it is what it is, and it, it it's more of a monthly retainer type of an idea. Uh, and the, so the testing. Let's let's dig into the testing piece of all this. By the way, we're visiting with Chris Daly. He's with Disruptive Advertising. The website one and the same. DisruptiveAdvertising.com. So for those of us who are not around ad design testing. How does this all work? Sure. So there's there's a couple pieces to to testing. So ad design testing is really all about trying different you, you you test different concepts to the same audience so it's very important that you're testing to the same group of users yeah. uh, because you want to test the impact of a change with the same group of people and so it's very similar to the types of uh, studies that advil does for their for their users you know There's a control you give, yeah yeah you, you have a control group that you give a sugar pill and then you have a group that you give the real stuff to and you measure how people's behavior changes and so um, you know, for an ad or for a website, for example, you know, if, if I've got a website, I have a homepage, it's very simple for me to say, okay, I've got an existing version of a homepage and it has a button that is green and I have a test version that has a button that is red. And so we'll show half of the people, the green button, we'll show half of the people, the red button, and we'll see which one gets clicked more. Um, and it's, it's, it's really interesting because they may be simple tests to set up, but it's really interesting to go in and analyze what does this mean? You know, what does this mean about people? (laughs) So more people clicked a a red button than a green button. What does that tell? Like, why? Why did they do that? And that was one of the things that fascinated me. That's one of the that's the thing I fell in love with. Yes. When I first discovered the applied psychology of it all. Right, Chris? Exactly. Is figuring out what is it about human behavior that makes people behave differently when they see different things? It's Mm. it's very interesting. And that, of course, is an oversimplification, the, the idea of a red and green button, but a wonderful illustration, because for those of us who are not 
around this, that's what it is. It's testing a variable against a constant group and see how they respond. And then behind that, why, as you suggest. Yeah. And so the fun part for me is, so, you know, taking this concept of the red and green button a little bit further. So let's say that the red button performs better than the green button. Well, there's a lot of different reasons that things like that happen, right? And, and you're right. I mean, typically the tests that we're running have, there are hundreds, if not thousands of things you, you test on a website. But, um, you know, so if, if we say, you know, this red button wins, well, we're, we're going to look at it and we're going to go, okay, why do we think that this won? Well, it may have won because it contrasts the page better than a green button. It may have yeah. won because they were, they were psychologically primed for a red button. Maybe the ad that we showed had a red button on it. And so they're psychologically primed to look for a red button on our site yep. or, you know, there, I mean, there's a lot of different things. And so then once you find that out, then you take it a step further. You say, okay, well, this is interesting. We think that it worked because it contrasted the best. Hmm. Well, how else can we push this concept of contrast even farther? Maybe we should change the background color. Maybe we should change the images on the page. Maybe we should change all the other colors on the page because that'll help this red button stand out even more. And so you start pushing these ideas farther and farther and farther. And, and, and it is just so fascinating to see how people respond to those changes. Well, I love that, Chris. You're basically hypothesizing why, making an intelligent guess about why it happened, then extrapolating from that and pushing that variable further to see if, well, was that really it? in a sense. Um, and I'm guessing you should only test a very few, if not one variable at a time to the same group. Is that true? Or, or is that just me dreaming that up? Well, so that is absolutely best practice. Now there, there are challenges with that because when you yeah. test one variable at a time, that is, that is the best way to get a very clean result. Yeah. Right. Yep. And some of our clients don't get enough traffic to test one small thing at a time. So, you know, some of our, some of our clients get lower amounts of traffic each month, uh, especially some of our B2B clients where they may only get, you know, a couple thousand visitors a month to a site, but if they get a sale, it may result in, in fact, we have a client that just sold a lead for a million dollar deal. Um, wow. and you know, and so when you're, when you're selling clients for a million dollar deals, you don't need a lot of leads in order to make a really good ROI. Right. And so you, you may not get a ton of traffic. So, but when, so when you get a little bit of traffic, making a small change, it'll take you forever to see a result on a small change. And so for those types of clients, sometimes we will kind of combine multiple tests into one, you know, we'll change multiple things, which obviously doesn't give us as good of a, um, sampling or yeah, yeah. As, as good of a data set. Data but, set. That's even better. Yep. Yes. But it gives us a much better result because we're able to make more dramatic changes on a site and, you know, but you're absolutely right for our clients. And, and we have quite a few clients that get a lot of traffic. Mm -hmm. We're changing one thing at a time, learning one very specific detail thing about the audience at a time and and drawing conclusions from so, it. So Chris, the more velocity really is sort of inversely correlated to the number of variables you can you can test at a given time. Exactly. You could say exactly. it that way, I guess. This yep. is so interesting. And so you also in the range of things that the agency does, do you work with companies to help them design and actually place the AdWords and Facebook ads? Do you actually do the placement of the media? You bet. Yeah. So we do full service. Um, yeah. AdWords and Facebook advertising where we create, we design, uh, we write up the actual ad copy and then we manage the campaigns. Mm -hmm. And then similarly for the websites, we will actually design up all the variations. We'll develop them. Uh, and then we'll, we'll actually run the test and, and find, you know, the best performing version of the site for our clients. And so, yeah, we try to be as turnkey as we possibly can. Yeah, that's brilliant. Are there any companies for those listening? I mean, my audience is made up of, you know, solopreneurs 
entrepreneurs uh, like me and then other possibly mid-sized businesses, maybe some larger uh, C-level types listening. Is there any business that's too small? And that's sort of a hidden way of asking about the range of prices that we might expect to pay for certain things. And this may be way too complicated to get in for this segment. So if it is, you'll just tell me. And uh, it's a case-by-case scenario, and that's okay, too. No, it's a great question. Typically, if, if, a, if a client is not already paying to acquire traffic, to get traffic to their site, yeah. then they're probably not the right kind of client for us. I think that's okay. the best way that I can answer that. That's a great answer. Yeah. All right. Once again, uh, it's disruptiveadvertising.com. We've been visiting with a high-level member of their team, entrepreneur Chris Daly. Uh, Chris, uh, great to meet with you. Thank you so much for your insight. And uh, I learned a lot. I think our listeners did as well about the world of digital advertising, how it's tested, and uh, how you think about it, and all of the psychology that goes into this. So uh, thanks again. We'll do it. Uh, we'll do it again for sure. Thank you for having me on the show. It was my pleasure. Small Biz, Small biz America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.